If you have a Bible, open with me in the Mark 13. We are, if you've been following this series, uh, we are calling the final days of Jesus. Today we are in the part two of our study Mark 13. Uh, so yeah, let's uh, start by reading uh, Mark 13, the, the first 13 verses. And so th this sermon, I'm calling the little apocalypse. We are today is part two. But before we go to the part two, I, I want to do a little recap on the part one. So if you were not here last week, actually no one was here last week. If you haven't listened to the, the sermon from last week, you can listen on our podcast, but I'll do a quick recap. So yeah, Mark 13, uh, verse 1. And as he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, uh, what a wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that we will not be thrown down. And, he, and as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite to the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? And Jesus began to say to them, See that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name, saying, I am he. And they will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but then is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. There are but the beginnings of the birth pains. But be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness, witness before them. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations, and when they bring you to trial, and deliver you over. Do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given, to, is given you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And brother will deliver brother over to death, and father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to them will be saved. Uh, yeah, let's pray before we jump in the text. Jesus, we are really thankful, as Charles was saying here, for having all these brothers and sisters here to worship you and to have this time learning from your word. We are thankful because you are a faithful God and we just can approach you in prayer because Jesus died that cross and his blood gave, gave us access to, to you. And we ask Jesus that your Holy Spirit can be working in our midst here and give us eyes to see, ears to hear, give us a heart to feel, and that we can be transformed by your word. We don't want to be just hearers of your word, but we want to be doers. We want to be transformed by your word. So make us the good soil for your your seeds, the seeds of your word. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So, by the way, my name is Nino, for those who don't know me. I'm one of the pastors here at Trails Church. Uh, I'm from Brazil, and I have two kids and a beautiful wife. So that's how I say about me right now. But we are in Mark 13. So in this passage, Jesus is talking about the destruction of Jerusalem. And the end times. So I'll, uh, I'll do a quick recap, recap, as I said. But Jesus in this passage was sitting with his disciples in the Mount of Olives. And they asked him two questions, basically. We saw in verse 4. He said, when these things will take place. Uh, he's talking about the fall of Jerusalem. And just because Jesus predicted this in verse 2. And then, then they asked, what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Uh, we can say those are two questions, the signs of your coming, the signs of the end of the age. So we can have two or three questions depending on how you divide this. So last week I have art that we need to take into consideration the fact that at least part of the answer Jesus gave to them is about the destruction of the temple, right? Uh, we know from history that the temple was totally destroyed 
in 70 AD by the Romans uh, as Jesus foretold and no stone was left upon another. And most of the things, maybe all of the things that Jesus predicted here uh, that would happen, they happened before the destruction of the temple. So wars and rumors of wars, famines, earthquakes, the disciples were persecuted by people outside their community, by Gentiles, but they were persecuted as well by, by their fathers, children, and everyone. Jew- Jewish people were responsible for great persecution for uh, upon the Christian Christians. Uh, so they were persecuted by their families. They would they were brought before governors and kings to trials. If you're familiar with the book of Acts, you 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 you, you know that. And the gospel spread throughout the whole world, or at least the world they they knew at that time. Uh, the the known world for the disciples. So uh, it, it's important to acknowledge this, so we can see the words of Jesus. They were practical, and the, for the disciples, they were not just a future. Uh, prediction that no one could prove true or false, but were practical for them. And was a constant source of hope and confidence for them uh, in the Lord, going through all the things that they had to go through during the first century. So the the readers of Mark, they were going through all those things and they were seeing the world around them, all those things, things happening. So the precise prediction of everything that would happen in the near future, culminating with the destruction of Jerusalem, is a, a good confirmation of who Jesus is. And if he was right about everything he predicted in this passage, isn't he right about heaven and hell? That was some of the questions I asked last week. Wasn't he right about the wrath of God coming upon the unbelievers? Wasn't he right about the fact of he, he being the only way to God? Wasn't he right about he being the way, the truth, and the light? So we, we need to ask ourselves these questions. If Jesus was right about all those things, including the, the destruction, the total destruction of the, of the temple, wasn't he right about all those other things? So knowing that all his words became true, it's supposed to cause unbelievers to reconsider. Should they, you need to give an answer that who Jesus is. Is he just a false prophet? A good person with good philosophy? Or was he really who, said, who he said he was? And he is the son of God. God incarnated. And if, if you come to the conclusion that he is who he said he is. We need to repent and put our trust in Jesus. And for the church, knowing those things, knowing he was right about everything, it should strengthen our faith. Uh, well, having understood that, I explained that I believe to be to be the right understanding of biblical prophecy. So biblical prophecy is not just one prediction matched one event in history and it's done. So we see in the Bible that one prophecy or, or even a promise, they kind of work together. Sometimes they find multiple fulfillments. So, for example, we have the promise given to Abraham that finds its fulfillment with Moses bringing the Israelites out of Egypt and the subsequent conquest of Canaan and the, 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 the promised land. But the same promise finds its final fulfillment in Jesus bringing us back to life at the end of history, to live in the eternal city of God as well. So we have those two fulfillments for the same prophecy and for the same promise. And for this reason, I believe that the words of Jesus in this passage we are studying have a partial fulfillment in the life of the apostles in the early church and the judgment that came upon Jerusalem in the 70 AD. But I think those things are foreshadowing of the events we had ahead of us. And in this effort to understand these events in the past as something that we can teach us about the future we have ahead of us, we pointed out that Jesus explicitly said that wars, plagues, famines, persecutions, and so on, they are not signs of the end. And sometimes people are mistaken with that. They, they think those things are signs, but he's saying, this is not the end yet. Those things must take place, but this is not the end. 
So I said, like, we need to know that because we need to stop saying that Jesus is coming back every time we see a war, every time we see a new cult rising or a false religion or political discussions and wars and all these things, because those are not signs of the end. That's what Jesus says. And he said, just are just the beginnings of the birth pains. He's opposing end with beginning. That, that's not the end. That's just the beginning. And it's important to know that because thinking that something is the end is not the end can make you lazy. And that's what Jesus did in one of his church. He was saying to them, you guys have a mission. You need to spread the gospel, announce the gospel. You, you, you'll be brought to trial. You, you be bring to trial. You're gonna be persecuted. Every you, you have a lot of things to do. Don't just sit there waiting for the end because the end is not yet. And it's the same thing for the church. It's not time for us to just stop and rest because the end is near. We we have a work to do. We need to be witnesses of the, the work of Jesus Christ Jesus Christ on the cross. And that being said, today we are studying the verse 14 up to the end of the chapter, uh, verse 37. So if you have a Bible, and you have, you can turn with me and Mark 13, if you haven't. And we're going to read from the verses 14 to, to, to the end of the chapter. We're going to have here on the screen as well. Uh, I'm reading ESV, if you want to know. So our text says... But he's doing an opposition statement here. So he said, like, all those things were not signs, but now there's something that it is a sign of them. But when you see the abomination of desolation stand where he ought not to be, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is in the housetop not go down nor enter his house to take anything out. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And as for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, and pray that may not happen in the winter. For in those days there will be such a tribulation as has not been from the beginning of creation that God created until now and never will be. And if the Lord had not cut short the, the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days and then if anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will rise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But be on guard, I have told you all these things beforehand. But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. And the stars will be falling from heaven. The powers in heaven will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As so it's as soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not, not, even, not even the angels in heaven, not, not the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It's like a man going a journey. When he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come in the evening, or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, lest he comes suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. So, that's our, our text for today. And so, different from last week, today we are talking about real signs of the end. And we're going to first talk about uh, this thing called the abomination of desolation. Uh, because we saw in verse uh, 14 that this abomination of des desolation standing where it ought not to be. It, it, it's time to flee. The end has come. And, and what is called the great tribulation, it, it's about to begin. 
So two questions. What is this abomination of desolation? And what is this great tribulation? So most of the theologians and Bible scholars I read, they, they said these verses are the hardest in the book of Mark and maybe the hardest in the New Testament. So, of course, we will not talk about everything that can be said about it. And there are different opinions about this text and these things as well. They, they are complicated things. But let's try to unpack it a little bit. So this expression, the abomination of desolation, is a clear allusion to something said by the prophet Daniel in the Old Testament. So there are four, basically four references uh, to the, this abomination of desolation in the book of Daniel. So turn to Daniel 8. We're going to just read a few verses so we can have in our minds what Daniel said about this abomination of desolation. Daniel 8. We are in verse 12. I'll give you a minute to find it. So the word of God says, In a host will be given over to it together with the regular burnt offering because of transgression. And will be thrown through, that, that's important, and it will, be, it will thrown truth to the ground and will act and prosper. Then I heard uh, a holy one speaking and another holy one said to the one who spoke, for how long is this vision concerned the regular burnt offering and transgression that makes desolate? And here we have the, this expression, the transgression that makes desolate. That's the abomination of desolation. It's a, a, a reference to this. And the giving of, uh, over of the sanctuary and the host should be trampled underfoot. And he said to me, for 2,300 evenings and mornings, then the sanctuary shall be restored to its rightful state. Uh, now go to Daniel 9. Daniel 9, verse 25. The prophet Daniel says, Know therefore, understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of, the, of an anointed one and a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for sixty-two weeks it shall be built again with squares and mold, but in a troubled time. And after the 62 weeks, an, uh, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. So here is Daniel is prophesying the, the, the destruction of the city and of the sanctuary of the temple. And its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. So here he's talking about the desolation of the temple again. Uh, and uh, verse 27, and he shall make a strong covenant with men for one week and for a half of the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offerings and on the wing of abominations shall come one who makes desolate until the decree end is poured out on the desolator. So here's talk about this wings of abominations shall come upon and sh shall come one who makes desolate. Uh, Daniel 11 says, verse 31, Forces from him shall appear in profane temple and fortress, and shall take away the regular burnt offering, and they shall set up the abomination that makes desolate. And then Daniel 12, verse 9, he said, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed to the time of the end. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined. But the wicked shall act wickedly. And none of the wicked shall understand. But those who are wise shall understand. And from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1,209 uh, 1, days. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at the uh, 1,335 days. But go your way to the end, and you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place the end of the days. Uh, so, yeah, that's, those are the texts from Daniel that I want us to read. So we see from this text that in the book of Daniel that 
the abomination of des desolation or, or the abomination that makes desolate, which would be a better translation, something related to the temple uh, and to the regular offerings and and to, to make the temple desolate, no one will bring uh, offerings and, and praise to the Lord in the, in the temple. The temple will destroy, the temple will be desolate. So we saw this thing. This prophet talk about putting an end to the offerings for a time in the profanation of the temple. And as we saw, even in chapter 9, it talks about the destruction of the temple and of the sanctuary. So then it was talk about the same things here. So today our intent is not to study this passage, but I want to show you that Jesus wasn't just creating this expression, the abomination of desolation, but he was uh, using what Daniel said as a reference to his, his, his people there who were Jews and he, they could understand what he was talking about. So let's understand first... Uh, what is an abomination? Because we understand like a desolation is a place who is desert. But what is abomination in the Bible, biblical concept? So abominations is something that causes hate or disgust. And in the biblical sense, it's something that God hates. And because it's offensive to him and offensive to his character. And we have so many texts in the Bible that talks about things that are abominations to the Lord. Uh, we have many verses that associate abomination with idolatry or false gods. Uh, God hates falsehood, impurity, weakness of all pagan gods. So all the other religions who go after and seek and, and worship another gods, those, are, those things are abominations to God. Uh, we have verses that associate abomination with child sacrifice and occult practice like divination, uh, hand reading, all those things. So those things are, are abomination. All the new age stuff, those are abominations to, to God. We have many verses that call any kind of dishonest in business an abomination. Uh, we have a couple verses that identify ungodly relationships as an abomination. So you have homosexuality and adultery as abominations in the Bible. Uh, we have many verses that kind that, that that call injustice any kind of injustice as an abomination to God. Uh, even in Proverbs six, we have a list of seven things that God's hate and are abominations to Him. So He says uh, there are. Six things that the Lord hates, seven that are abomination to him. Haughty eyes and lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, and the heart that divides wicked plans, feet that makes haste to run to evil, and false witness who breathes out lies, and one who, who sows discord among brothers. So those are all things that that are abominations before the Lord. And even in Luke 16, uh, 15, Jesus says, what is exalted among men is abomination in the sight of the Lord. In the context here, Jesus is talking about the love of money, if you want to check it out. So we have in the Bible lots of things that are abominations to the Lord. And abominations, they separate God from people. And those, those things, the abomin everything that's uh, abomination to God, make us unclean. And uh, we are unfit to be in His presence, to worship Him. So in, in one way, all sin is abomination to Him. The, uh, in Proverbs, we have Proverbs 15, 9. Uh, it's not here on the screen, but it says, The way of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord. But he loves him who pursues righteousness. So the way of the wicked is abomination. Everything, the, 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 the people who is, uh, is, is not a follower of Jesus, who is wicked, who not pursues righteousness, is abomination to the Lord. And we know we are all sinners by nature. So we are all unfit to be in God's presence. All the humans, with no exception. But in our text, we are talking about abomination that brings desolation, abomination that makes something desolate. This abomination of desolation is prophesied to be something that would make the temple desolate, something that would bring impurity to the temple and makes it unfit for worship of God, the, the, the true God, and for this reason, desolate desert. So some people believe that this prophecy of Daniel was fulfilled, or at least partially fulfilled, in, in the year of uh, 167 BC, uh, with this guy, uh, Antiochus Epiphanes. He was a Greek ruler uh, who set up an altar to Zeus 
uh, upon the over the altar of burnt offerings in the Jewish temple in Jerusalem, and he sacrificed a pig in this in this in this altar. And if you know a bit of Jewish culture, pig is an unclean animal. It's an abomination to the Lord to sacrifice a pig to him. And he persecuted the Jews in various ways. So if you want to look it up later and know more about this episode, um, this, this, this acts from this ruler led the Jewish people to revolt, the Maccabean revolt. So the Catholic Roman Catholic Bible has this, this book, the, the Maccabees, and there you can find a little bit about this. And they use the word abomination of desolation to talk about what this guy was doing. And in this revolt, they took the temple back and had to purify it to make it uh, fit for worship again. And this is what is celebrating the Jewish festival Hanukkah, if, if you don't know. But in our text, Jesus is not talking about a past event. And that's interesting. So in verse, oops. Yeah, keep your Bible open in Mark 13. So verse 14 says, But when you see the abomination of desolation stand where he ought not to be, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mount. So Jesus here talking about a future event. He's saying, when you see. So let's read the same account in the Gospel of Luke because he's a bit more clear, or at least for us here in 2021. Uh, so go to Luke chapter 21. Verses 20 to 24. It's the same text, but here Luke's talking to Gentiles. So maybe it would be easier for us. Luke 21, verse 20 to 24. The word of God says, But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let those who are inside the sea depart, and let not those who are out in the country enter it. For these days are days of vengeance, to fulfill all that is written. Alas, for women who are pregnant, and for those who are nursing fans in those days, for there will be great distress upon the earth and wrath against these people. They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all nations. Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. So we see here that the armies surrounding Jerusalem are the sign that the desolation is near. So this is what happens in the 7th AD. The Romans surrounded Jerusalem uh, and they surrounded this for a while. They did a siege there. And until they managed to enter and destroy the temple completely, making it desolate. And the temple, as you know, has been desolate for two days. The temple was never again rebuilt for almost 2,000 years now. So here in Luke, uh, we learned that when Jesus was talking in Mark, but when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, Luke uh, talks about the same thing and says, when you see the Roman army surrounding Jerusalem, so we, we can say that Jesus was talking this, uh, the abomination of desolation was the Roman army standing there surrounding Jerusalem. And we can say the Roman army can be seen as abomination to the Lord. They carried false gods. They worshipped the emperor and other false gods. They, they were committing all the kind of idolatry, immorality, and, and bringing injustice everywhere. So in this verse, Jesus is telling his disciples to, when they see Jerusalem surrounded, it's time to flee from there. And you might think, this is something obvious. But this is the opposite from obvious. At that time, when you saw our army came in, you would flee to the city, into the city. The city with all walls is supposed to be the, 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 the most secure place for you to go. But Jesus here is giving them an escape plan different from what would be obvious for them. And it's implicit as well that they shouldn't stay and fight for the city and for the temple. Because Jesus said to them, But when you see the abomination of desolation stand where he ought not to be, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those who are in the housetop not go down, nor enter his house to take anything out. So he, he says, like, Don't stay. 
flee to the mountains. And we know from the writings of historians that it was exactly what Christians did. They left Jerusalem. And as far the historians know, no Christian died in the destruction of Jerusalem. Friends, pay attention to this. While Jerusalem, in, in, in Jerusalem, about one million people died. About 100,000 were taken as slaves. Christians, because they listened to the words of Jesus and Jesus' warnings and obeyed him, they were spared from this terror. Can you imagine being a Christian during this time and knowing that your obedience saved you from all this? And then uh, verses 19-20 says, For in those days there will be such a tribulation, as has not been from the beginning of creation, that God created to you now and never will be. And if the Lord has not cut short the, the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the leg whom he chose, he shortened the days. So here Jesus talks about a great tribulation. So we know what happened during the siege uh, the Romans imposed to Jerusalem. And I, wanted to, I want to describe a bit what happened. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a heavy thing. So a few years before, because of the war that broke between the Jews and the Romans, a multitude of thieves, zealots that were rebel Jews and murderers, they flocked into the city seeking refuge. As I said, that was the most obvious thing to do. And the city was without law and order, chaos, anarchy, reign. And the city was divided into factions, attacking each other. And history says that huge piles of bodies filled the streets or were thrown from the, the city walls. Until a guy named Titus assumed the responsibility for the battle. And he offered an opportunity to, for the Jews to surrender, but they, they did not accept. So they started the siege. They surrounded Jerusalem. And they burned all their stocks of food and polluted their water reserves. The famine was huge. Uh, when you, if you read Josephus, one of the historians who talk about this period, he said people sold their homes and even their children to obtain food. People were eating from, from public sewers, eating animals' food. Anything they could find to eat, they would eat. People who were suspected of hiding food were tortured. People who tried to flee the city to look for food, they were caught by the Romans and crucified. The Romans were crucifying around 500 people every day. There was a forest of crucified people outside the walls of Jerusalem. Houses were filled with dead bodies, with entire families who starved to death or died from different diseases. Josephus tells us that a woman killed her own son and roasted his body, ate half and hid the other half to it later but other people took it from her. And then Caesar gave orders to the Romans to demolish the whole city, and they entered, and they did. The Romans inv invaded the city after a long siege. They plundered the city. They killed many more, burned the temple, and Josephus tells us that the Romans grew weary of killing. And friends, that's, this is just a brief summary of what happened there. This is the great tribulation which those who obey Jesus were delivered. So, yeah, let's go back to Mark 13. And Jesus said to them, and then if you want to say to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, there he is. Do not believe it. For false Christ and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray if possible the light. But be on guard. I have told all these things beforehand. Here is Jesus warning again against the false prophets and false Christs. 
history tells us that many false prophets and messiahs appeared during this time. And they were leading people to believe that everything was right. They could stay in the city. No problem. They were saying, like, don't believe the words of Jesus. Here's the most secure place to stay. That's the right thing to do. I'm the Messiah. I'm the prophet God. Believe me. Do what I'm saying. And people who followed them had to face the, the judgment of God that came upon Jerusalem through the Romans. So Jesus here is saying, I'm telling you all these things beforehand so you don't fall. You, don't, you are not led astray. You're not deceived. And to finish this point, I, I want you to remember what I said last week at the beginning, that those things, wars and rumors of wars, famines, and all those things were not signs. But here Jesus is saying, what is the sign of them? It, it is this abomination of desolation standing in the place it should not be. It's Jerusalem surrounded by armies. That's the sign of the end and the time to flee. And the false prophets and the false messiahs in the, this context, they are not a sign of the end. But Jesus is saying that they will be active during this time, trying to deceive people, to disobey Jesus, and to follow another way. And at the end, face judgment. <laughs> All right. So having understood that, and the meaning of Jesus' words for, for the disciples and for the early church, what is the meaning of all of this for us and for the future? So we have different ways we can go here. And I'll just give you some possibilities. So some people believe the Great Tribulation was a past event. The prophecy is, is fulfilled and we shouldn't expect anything like this to happen again. Uh, guys like Arcis Pro believe something like that. Uh, some people believe we as a church have been living the great tribulation since then and to the end of times when Jesus come back. And other people believe in the future we have the abomination of desolation, the person of the Antichrist, who will bring a great tribulation, but now in the entire globe. Some people believe the Antichrist is a person. Some people believe the Antichrist is a system, a political system or economic system. But for any of those options, they all believe Jesus is coming back in the future and we establish his kingdom. So that's something they have in common. It's good they have in common. And as I said last week, I believe everything we saw happening in Jerusalem is a foreshadowing of what we are going to see in a more cosmic sense. And they, they find its final fulfillment at the end of the age we are living. So go to uh, 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 2. Second Thessalonians chapter 2. I'm going to read the first 12 verses. So here Paul says to this church in Thessalonica, uh, Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, not, not to be quick, quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word, or a letter seeming to be from us, to the fact that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come, will not come, unless the rebellion comes first, and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and even exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And you know that and you know what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is read at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is by the active 
activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders, and with all wicked, wicked deception for those who are perishing, because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false, in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in righteousness. Well, many people, including including me, believe that there is a connection between this man of lawlessness and the, the abomination of desolation of Daniel. A lot of the language used by Daniel, uh, there seems to be used here again. Uh, it's someone who opposes truth, opposes God, exalts himself against every so-called God and object of worship. He takes his seat in the temple of God and proclaims himself to be God. And I believe Paul here is talking about a future event. Uh, we haven't seen anything like this taking place in the fall of Jerusalem. Uh, maybe we had some glimpses of this, but uh, I think it's a big stretch to say that it, it's already fulfilled. So it's interesting to notice that Paul is saying, now concerning the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and being gathered together with him, we ask the brothers not be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by spirit, a spoken word, a letter. And then verse 3, he says, let no one deceive you in any way, for the day will not come unless the rebellion comes first. It's a similar message to the message we're seeing Jesus tells his disciples. Paul is saying to them, do not be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, thinking that the end has come. That Jesus is coming back because there is a sign that must take place. The revelation of the man of lawlessness and, and this rebellion. So I think here we should be reminded once again. Don't think everything bad that happens is a sign of the end. Don't let spirits, spoken words, letters, false prophets deceive you, make you think that the end has come. Paul was telling this, this to this church because people in this church, they were living a lazy life, thinking the end was near. The same thing I, I, I said last week, this pandemic, all the political things we are seeing in the world, all the bad things happening in the world right now, shouldn't cause us to stop. The church needs to keep advancing. We need the gospel to be proclaimed. We need the church to be alive and active. We need Christians being the salt and the light of the earth. So don't let anyone deceive you. It's time to find strength in the spirit to carry on the mission of the church. The mission that God has for us in this time, this season, and the place we are living in. But here Paul talks about a rebellion and a man of lawlessness as a sign of the coming of Christ. So these two things seem to be connected. This man of lawlessness will, move, will, will be moved by the power of Satan. And we know that Satan is the leader of all rebellion against God. He's the first rebel, we can say. And he will come with false signs and false wonders. And the rebellious people will be deluded by his deception. And God will even send a strong delusion. So that those people will really believe what is false. And the question is why? Why God would do that? And Paul gives us two, two reasons. He says, because they refuse to love the truth. And so be saved. And they did not believe the truth. And had pleasure in righteousness. And people can ask, but, but what is truth? John 17, Jesus says, I have given them, I, I have given them your word. Uh, uh, John 17, verse 14, words of Jesus. I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Friends, truth is the word of God. That's what Jesus believed. That's what the apostles believed. They had the Bible to be the word of God. And we see throughout the whole New Testament, that's what he's talking about. That's the truth, the word of God. 
So what Christians had to believe in order to be saved from the judgment of God upon Jerusalem? The words of Jesus. The word of God. What Daniel prophesied. And the same is true for us today. The only way to escape the judgment that is coming upon the world. The future great tribulation. And worse than the, a tribulation here. To escape hell. Eternal judgment by God. Is by believing and obeying the word of God. And in the same way, the false messiahs, false prophets appeared uh, at the time teaching people different things and telling them things that were contrary to the words of Jesus and led men astray, led people to destruction. False teachers and false prophets are in our midst today working and doing the same thing. And this time, friends, is not a matter of fling to, fling to the mountains, going to the mountains. Because you can't escape the final judgment of God. And it would be, it would be way worse of all the things I, I just described in the siege and the fall of Jerusalem. The only way to escape is by believing the truth, is by loving the truth. The life of the Christian is not a life of perfection. Is a life of love for Jesus, a love for the truth. All the Christians, they are hungry for the word of God. And we know that the word of God is the only thing that can give us life. It's the bread and the water we need to satisfy our souls. It's the only way to escape death and destruction and find abundant life. So, friends, the truth is no one knows who is the man of lawlessness is. No one knows who the Antichrist will be, if it's a person or if it's a political system. We can have our guesses. But the, the, the truth is, we don't need to know that. The Christians in the first century, they did, they did not know exactly what was going to happen. Neither if it would be the Romans or other armies to surround Jerusalem. But when they saw it, the Holy Spirit guided them and guided them in the truth. Maybe in the early church, not every Christian understood the signs. But there were people in the church put there by God to guide the people of God to a safe place. And it's the same thing for us. That's the importance of the church. That's why Hebrews 10 a lot of people have been talking about Hebrews 10 verses. Let's read Hebrews 10 from verse 19 to 27. Oh, it's on the screen now. It says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that, that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from, all, from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as, in, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all more as you see the day drawing near. For if we go on sinning deliberately, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there, is no longer remains, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins but a fearful expectation of judgment and the fear of fire that will consume the adversaries. So we are called, Hebrew, the author of Hebrews here is saying, we are called as saved people, cleansed by the blood of Jesus, to hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. And he says, don't neglect the gathering of the church because we need to stir it up one another to love and good works. All the more, we see the day coming, the day of the Lord, the day when Jesus is coming back. 
So the more we see the signs of them, the, the rebellion against God and against truth and against His Word, the more we see hate for the truth. We need to be with the church so we can encourage one another, build one another. We can help one another in, in this battle against the worldview that is, is in the world in our time. In, the, in our battle against sin. The church is a gift from God, from God to us. It's our family. It's our place of refuge. It's where we find love, where we find truth. It's where we are encouraged. It's where we find help to not keep sinning and to not believe lies. The church is essential to us. So this title, The Man of Lawlessness, shows us as well that it will be someone or something who opposes himself to the law of God, who lives without law, without the only true law, the law of God. And the Bible says that the Holy Spirit is the mark of God in us. The Holy Spirit marks our hearts with the truth, with the law of God. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. And many people are concerned about the mark of the beast or the mark of the Antichrist. And if you believe it's a physical thing, it's all right. But more important than that is that this mark is the rejection of the truth. The law of God. That's what people is rejecting. And that's what the devil wants to mark our, our minds, our hearts, and, and our lives. For mark our lives for, in a rejection of the truth of God. So all I can say to you, brothers and sisters, is that truth is under attack in our days. Many people don't believe there is such a thing as truth. Many people believe truth is everywhere in other religions. They believe each person, each culture, each religion has a piece of truth. Other people say that science is truth. But we as Christians believe the word of God is truth. Whatever matches the word of God is truth. Because it's God's truth. Not science truth. Not other religious truth. It's word, the word of God's truth. It's God's truth. So we need to stand for the truth. We need to, to, to a church that more than ever hold this book to be the truth. And we need people who have a hunger for studying this book to understand it and to apply it to their lives. People who are not afraid of proclaiming the truth. Which, uh, which kind of world we are living in? Where people are ashamed of, of saying the truth and people proudly say lies. We don't know yet when the end will come, but we know the church will stand. Because God will sustain it. And the Holy Spirit, the, the Spirit of truth, will empower His church witness of the truth and the false churches, the false gospels, and all the false Christians will be exposed because they don't have what's necessary to stand in the midst of persecution and tribulation. That's Jesus purifying His bride to finally meet Him when He comes back in His second coming. Going to the end of our text, we see that uh, the end time is not a concern for those who walk in the truth, but for those who, who uh, and for those who walk with Jesus. Uh, verses tw tw uh, 24 to 27 in Mark 13 says, But in those days after the tribulation, so the tribulation is ended, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in heaven will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out his angels and gather his elect from the four winds from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. And Paul says something similar. He says, and then the law, uh, Second Thessalonians, the, the text we just read, and then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord Jesus will kill will kill with the, the breath of his mouth and bring it to nothing by the appearance of his coming. So it doesn't matter what is the abomination of desolation, this man of lawlessness, Jesus will destroy him with, the, with his second coming. The end of history is the victory of Jesus and over all his enemies.
So that's not something you should fear. He will come again, not as he came the first time in a, in a humble manger to suffer and die for our sins, but he will come in glory and great power from heaven, destroying all the powers of evil, and he will gather his elect and will establish his kingdom. And he will judge every single person who ever lived. And those who chose to walk in darkness will face eternal judgment from God. And those who have received the blood of Christ upon their souls and are free of all accusation because of that, those who had their sins paid by Jesus on the cross, will reign with him forever. And then Jesus gives us two little parables to finish our text. The first is on the... We're going to talk about another fig tree because we had the fig tree that Jesus cursed, but now we have a, a different analogy to using a fig tree. So Jesus says, From the fig tree learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender, it puts, puts out its leaves. You know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that, is, that, that he is near and the, at the very gates. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. So here with this parable about the fig tree, he teaches two things. Uh, we might not know exactly the day and the hour for these things, but he gave us signs of seasons, and we should talk, uh, take notice of that. The leaves in the, the fig tree might not say to us exactly when the summer is beginning, but we know it's near. So it's necessary some wisdom here. Not every change that happens in nature and in the trees are a sign of the summer. But someone who learned to observe nature can distinguish what are the signs and what are not the signs of the summer coming. Those people, they knew that the, the leaves in the fig trees were signs. And we have the Word of God, and we need to learn to rightly discern what are the signs and what are not signs, so we can have some grasp of what's coming ahead of us. And the verse 30 and 31, they, they are amazing. Jesus says, His words are more trustworthy than the stability of heaven and earth. So if you trust that tomorrow you see the sun rising, you see the ocean, the ocean will be there where it always has been, and nature will follow its cycles. You should know that the words of God, the words of Jesus, are more certain than these things. And the question for us is, is it the way we see the words of God? Well, we should. And finally, the, the final parable Jesus gives us, verse 32 and 37. He talks about how to be prepared for the second coming. So the word of God says, But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. But uh, be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey, when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come in the evening, or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. So, as I said, no one knows the day and the hour. Apparently, not even Jesus knew. Uh, he is God, but he did not know it because he restrained himself knowing uh, but he restrained himself by taking human form. And he, as the perfect human, he trusted God and his words and his timing and was obedient to God in everything, obedient to death. But he gave us here a final piece of advice. We need to be on guard and stay awake. Jesus is like this man who left on a journey, in the parable, and he left us, his servants, each one with his work. We don't know exactly when he's coming back. But when he comes back, he wants to find us doing the work he gave us to do. And not sleeping and resting. So the second and final question here is, what is the work Jesus gave you? Or gave the church to do? Because that's how we prepare for the second coming. That's what we should be doing. And if, you're, if you don't know what you're supposed to do, it's time to learn. 
That's why we need the Word of God. That's why we need the church. That's why we need to, to be together, to discern those things, to learn those things. And if you have been doing the things that God gave you to do, it's not time to rest. This pandemic is not time to rest. Stay home, watch Netflix. It's not time to rest. It's, it's time to keep working till he comes. And we have our rest when he comes back with him. But first of all, you need to become a servant of Christ. He's coming back for his servants, not for everyone in this case. So if you're not a servant of Christ, anything you're doing, it has no value for him. So a few things before we wrap this up. If you are already a Christian, or if you are not a Christian, there is a judgment coming. And if it's not something, if it's not something in our lifetime, there is eternal judgment waiting for all of us when you die. And in the same way Jesus was right about what happened to Jerusalem, we can know that hell is real, heaven is real, and hell is worse than what happened in Jerusalem. So we should ask ourselves a few questions. Will I ignore the words of Jesus, take my chances, and face whatever is coming? Or will you surrender to Jesus, accept his offer of grace, and decide to live a life of obedience to him? Because he wants to save you. As the second question is, knowing the judgment we have ahead of us, are you really loving the people around you? Because the way of loving those people is by telling them the truth. It's by warning them. Can you imagine those Christians knowing what is coming upon Jerusalem and not telling anyone? That's why we see the apostles and, and Christians, they were everywhere in the city calling people to obedience to Jesus, to repentance from sin. That's why Jesus entered the temple and cleaned the temple, cleansed the temple, as we saw a couple weeks ago. We cannot be indifferent knowing all those things. Because if you're indifferent, are you don't believe it? Are your, your heart is too hard that you don't even care for other people? And the, a third and final question is, are you ready to suffer for the truth? Are you ready to be persecuted, rejected, hated because of the truth? Because that's what we, as Christians, we always face. And I know no one's ready by nature. All we need is to be filled by the Holy Spirit to endure it. But the thing is, we need to ask. We need to, to seek for it. We pray for so many things when we pray, but there is very little prayer in the church for boldness to proclaim the truth, boldness to stand before those who oppose us, boldness and strength to not compromise and to take whatever kind of persecution that comes when we do not compromise and stand for Jesus, stand for the gospel, stand for the truth. And yeah, I want to finish by reading Psalm 121. And then I'm going to sing a couple songs. So David wrote this, this psalm, remembering the dark moments in his life when he was hiding the mountains and the hills, fleeing from King Saul, who wanted to kill him. The same way the early Christians went to the mountains to flee from, from the destruction by the Romans. And the point here is that the hills were not what rescued and saved them, but it was God. And he's the one who will save us the only one capable of keeping and bringing us safely to the end. So yeah, let's read. It says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord, who made the heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, 
nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your, your going out and your coming from this time forth and forevermore. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, first, we are thankful because your words, they are truth. And that's not because we want to believe it's truth, but we can see throughout the whole history of humanity that everything you said, everything you promised happened. We, we can see the truth contained in the Bible in the, the reality around us. So thank you because you, you opened you opened our eyes to, to see the truth, to see the reality. Thank you for, for the work of Jesus in that cross because it was that blood that brought us healing, not just in our bodies, that one day we're going to have perfect bodies, but brought healing in our souls and our spirits so we can see the truth, we can understand the truth. And we can live by the truth. And I, I, I ask, Lord, that you can strengthen your church in this time. And in this country, in this city. The world around us is, is rejecting truth. It is being deceived deceiving themselves but it, the church the church cannot be deceived God because that's what your word says the elect cannot be deceived and I believe that God and that in this time we can see our church rising the, 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 the real church the, the true church And Christians that maybe were asleep, that were resting from the work you gave us, that they can rise in this time and, and start doing the things they need to do. Give us, give us boldness, give us strength to, to proclaim the truth, to stand for the truth, to love Jesus and love the gospel with our lives. And that we can see a, a big revival in the city, in this country, God. Not an emotional revival, but a true revival, God. People surrendering to you. People surrendering to the truth. People who love and are hungry for, for your word. People who want to learn from you and live according to, to your word, God. And if there are people here who are not who are not sure about their salvation, we we ask Lord that you can find those people where they are right now and change their hearts, giving them a new heart, remove the heart of stone, and give them a heart of flesh, and put your Holy Spirit in them, mark, marking their hearts with the law of God. Because that's what you promise. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.